It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman along with Dr. Stuart Fishbein. He is Dr. Stu, back from vacation. Yeah, Brian, I had a very nice vacation with my family, and I'm back at it in less than uh, half an hour after I landed at LAX. Uh, I was driving on the freeway heading home with my daughter, and I got a phone call, and someone was in labor. Look at that. I mean, really, you, uh, did you go your entire vacation to the Twin Cities? By the way, it was, it's probably very nice, the weather this time of year, right? It's uh, pretty humid, hot and humid. Uh, you went the whole time without anybody calling, saying, hey, I've, I'm, I'm going early here. You, that timing actually sort of worked out perfectly. Well, actually, funny you should ask, but I'll tell you, I want to talk about this lady because on Wednesday and Thursday night during the week, she actually threatened uh, a couple of times to go into labor. But it's the power of the mind. She really was nervous, and she really she was a vaginal birth after cesarean. She really wanted me to be there, and she was able to hold out. And literally, about an hour after I landed, she broke her bag of waters, and eight hours later, she had a baby. And it was it was lovely. It was brilliant. I would suggest if you people want to see the the uh, what what it means to say that a picture is worth a thousand words uh, on our podcast today, you're going to see the picture of this woman uh, just after the birth. It is one of those most amazing pictures. I tear up when I look at it because I know how much this meant to her to have that done. So this was a, it was an amazing uh, experience that this would happen just like that. You know, I was very tired, but most of the time when I'm at a birth, I spend a lot of time on the sofa, you know, resting or sleeping or hanging out. And just because I got great assistance, I work with a midwife and a midwife assistant. This one happened to be videotaped because we're actually working on a documentary on VBAX with mm. my friend Elliot Berlin. Wow, that's great. If you are listening to Dr. Stu's podcast, of course, a lot of folks listen right at drstuespodcast.com, and you can see the images there that Dr. Stu's talking about. But if you're one of our many listeners on iTunes, a lot of people have subscribed to Dr. Stu's podcast on iTunes. Listen on iTunes. We like five stars, by the way, and positive feedback for Dr. Stu. They give a nice rating on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, jump over to drstuespodcast.com where you can see uh, this photograph that Dr. Stu spoke of a moment ago. It is powerful. It's a sweet picture. Yeah, and not only that, but you asked me, you know, was the week relatively peaceful otherwise? And this is, you know, you know, I have my pet peeves, and I get out. What do you? What do we call it? We call it the uh, the yeah. Uh, what what your uh, oh. uh, sounds like? Uh, okay, now he's looking at me. He's out of his chair, Randy. He's quacking. Oh. Sounds like a duck. It's Radio a duck. Charades. It's what? Is it a duck? Is it sounds like a hand? You're moving your hand. It's you know the the thing where I start to go off the deep end. A rant. A rant. Well, it's something like that. I think we called it something else once before, but it'll it'll come to us. Okay. Nonetheless, um, a meltdown. A meltdown. Doctor Stu's no, meltdown. No, it wasn't a meltdown. That's you. Okay, that's me. No, I try again. Try okay. again. Okay. Uh, uh, sounds like um, uh, uh, doctor, no, no. Uh, 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 Randy, up. your turn. Uh, I'm going to say Doctor Stu's peaceful chant. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Okay. no. Uh, that would be that would be the. Uh, the oxymoronic. I don't think there's such a thing as well, Dr. We'll Stu having a peaceful chant. In some time, we'll remember it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, right. well, that's good, though. Isn't that good? I kind of like that. Do you do that? Are you a TM person? I am not. Yeah, I don't have... I have ADD. How can I possibly no. do transcendental meditation? No, I like watching superhero movies. I'm going to so. take you to a hot yoga class with me one day. I could never go to a yoga class. Not just yoga, the hot yoga, the sweating yoga. By the way, we'll get to this well, story. Well, it's 99 degrees today in the valley. <laughs> you just go outside and have to pay money to it. You have to pay money for that? Oh, yeah, you got to pay money so you can go to a room that's 130 degrees. I want to get to this story that Dr. Stu has for us of, of, of what happened uh, during the week. But quickly, mentioning yoga. Do pregnant ladies do yoga, and should they, and do you ever advise it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yoga is great for pregnant ladies. Uh, they have special 
classes for pregnant ladies, especially as you get farther along. There are certain, the, a, a good yoga instructor will know exactly uh, what's okay for a pregnant woman to do and not to do. Some people ask, can they do hot yoga in pregnancy? And the answer is probably yes. But your mobility is certainly diminished. Yeah, it is. And you're more likely to hurt yourself or pull something or whatever. So you don't do all the crazy positions. And since I don't know squat about yoga. You don't know downward dog? I don't know nothing. You don't, don't do know the half okay. lotus when you're pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't do an inversion on your moon cycle? So no, even, but I've seen women do that position. I didn't know it was a yoga position. <laughs> <laughs> do you, even on vacation, Dr. Stu is great because even on vacation, he comes back. And most guys go on vacation. They go see their family. They go to back to Minnesota. They come back. It's like, oh, yeah, I went to the lake. Oh, yeah, I saw a ball game. Oh, yeah, I hung out. Dr. Stu, oh, I got to talk about it. I got to, there's always something going on with Dr. I Stu. I had lunch with a beautiful midwife. In, in Minneapolis uh, at a little uh, outdoor cafe and uh, that was great. I mean, so now I can write off the airfare. Is that? Is that I guess that's true. Actually, we'll have to. Uh, we'll have to on the uh, tax. Do we do a tax I'm, podcast? Do yeah. we do a podcast about taxes? Actually, we'll get ask your tax guys to see if that was okay to do that. I would say that is now a business lunch. That was a business expense. That was a business trip. No, but this poor woman who delivered uh, eight hours after I landed. You know, on Friday, three days before she delivered, she went in to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist for a follow-up ultrasound. She actually had no reason to go see that doctor. Uh, she was only 39 weeks. There were no problems with her pregnancy whatsoever. But she had seen the doctor early in her pregnancy, and he'd recommended a follow-up ultrasound, which is sort of standard fare for, for in my experience with maternal fetal medicine doctors is because, you know, they make money when people come in for ultrasounds that don't Stu, make money. forgive me, for, for those in the audience who might not know, what is the difference between what you are, an OBGYN, and a maternal fetal maternal fetal medicine guy? A maternal fetal medicine guy or, or woman is also called a perinatologist. They are specialists in high-risk pregnancy. They Rarely do they do deliveries themselves, and they don't do office gynecology, and they don't do infertility, and they don't do that. All they do is take care of women with uh, problems during their pregnancy. A lot of times they're Women with fetal anomalies or, or uh, insulin-requiring diabetes or thyroid disorders. And, uh, you know, the average obstetrician may not feel comfortable doing that, dealing with that. So they'll con consult with a perinatologist during the, uh, during the pregnancy. The words perinatologist and maternal fetal medicine specialist are synonymous. They okay, I see. Interchange All frequently. right, so she goes to see him for ultrasound. She goes to see him for an ultrasound and for no reason uh, other than uh, cash in situ, which means, you know, money in your pocket. Right. And um, he finds that the baby's head is looking upwards instead of sideways or downwards. Does that mean a breach? No, no. It's still down, but oh. it's the eyes are sort of looking up toward the ceiling instead of down toward the floor or off to the side, which is the more common position. It's called occiput posterior. And he says to this woman, who he knows has her heart set on a vaginal birth, her free C-section was for breach, and she was never given an option in that pregnancy to have a vaginal breach delivery. And she wants to have a home birth and as she well. Wants to, well, she knows she has a better chance of having a successful uh, vaginal birth after C-section by being at home than being in the hospital. She's well informed. Uh, she and her husband had researched a lot of different options. And this is the case. And so this, this doctor knows that she wants this home birth. And what does he say to her? He says, oh, this is really making going to make your labor difficult. You probably are going to end up with a repeat C-section. Oh. So the woman, so the woman, starts to text me and her doula 
and anybody she can get a touch and she's in tears she's upset yeah this isn't something a 39 weeker want to hear is right before they're about to give birth well first of all there's no evidence for what he's saying to be true the guy doesn't probably deliver babies probably hasn't been in the delivery room for a decade or more okay so let me stop you right there dr Stu, because this becomes one of the important questions so then if if he said it for no what was his motivation to say that that's why i always try to get a handle i know that you're uh, anti-establishment on some issues not all but on many if she goes to this guy, gives her the ultrasound. He, he gives an opinion. You dis, you're a doctor, a great doctor. You disagree with the opinion. So what was his motivation? Did he, you don't. I, well, here's what I can surmise, because I've obviously put a lot of thought into this. He has to believe that vaginal birth after cesarean section is dangerous. All right. Now, there's no, the evidence is very. Uh, um, cloudy cloudy as far as which way to go so it really means that both choices are reasonable they both carry benefits a, a repeat c-section or a vaginal birth carry benefits and some carry and they both carry risks but it's certainly a reasonable decision to opt either way and he has to know that so when he says this he has to be sort of justifying in his own mind that his choice to not support VBAC is is supported by the evidence now the reason he says that in this particular case my feeling is is because he wants to be important in this woman's life he wants to be right oh you know he wants to, you know if he if he recommends or supports her choice to have a vaginal birth and she ends up having a problem he's probably fearful you're saying a doctor would make a decision based on ego ego and economics absolutely they're the two most common reasons doctors make any decision e squared E squared. <laughs> e to the second power. That's right. Ego and economics. So, so she. And so where expedi- does the oh, by the way, that's E cubed because there's also expediency. Right. Where does it's the welfare easier. of the patient lie in between ego and economics? Well, it depends on who you're talking about, which physician you're talking about. But I would tell you the trend in medicine right now, especially as medicine becomes more corporate and more uh, uh, regulated, industrialized, and regulated and micromanaged, is the the patient's experience means absolutely nothing if he would have thought about this patient's experience even if he believed what he said he wouldn't have said it no there was no reason to say that at that point now maybe he didn't even know that he was saying something that was so offensive to her but how could he not I because mean, I, because they're they live in their own little world they're oblivious they don't deal with patients on a face-to-face basis week after week hour after hour they don't know these people other than they're a con, uh, consultant Whose, whose job is to keep people out of trouble, so they that's what they do. So, Dr. Stu, another physician tells uh, one of your clients, you don't call them patients, because when you're pregnant, you're not sick, right? You call them clients. So she's over there, and, and she wants to have a vaginal birth after cesarean at home. He says to her, you're probably going to wind up having a cesarean after all. She freaks out. She, I'm sure, like you said, starts texting everybody. She makes contact with you. I would assume for you at some point, really, I'm, I'm not making light of it at all, but at some point you're talking with her now, and you're probably trying to talk her off the ledge. She's probably freaked out. Yeah, well, she's she's upset, and I, I try not to add to her being upset by saying to her what an idiot this guy is. But you're thinking it. I, oh, I'm angry. I, I get, I'm sad and I'm angry that this sort of, that these people are sort of acting as the standard bearers for my profession. And this is how they behave. And they put the welfare of the mother and, the, and how, how she's feeling and how she thinks so far down on the totem pole that, it, that it, it becomes irrelevant. But that matters They're, so much. I mean, the stress of the mother, that's a big deal. Well, we've talked about that before. Stress 
interferes with the labor process. And for all I know, maybe he did her a favor because maybe she was so stressed out that she actually made it three more days (laughs) (laughs) until I could get home. She held that baby in. And there you are on the freeway with your daughter off the airplane and uh, you get the you get the call that she's in labor. And uh, how how long after you got off the plane and she had a baby girl or a baby boy? She had a baby girl. Okay, and that came how long after uh, Dr. Stu stepped off the airplane at LAX? Well, the baby was born at 7.05 in the morning. Oh, okay. And uh, she called me about 9.35 at night, 9.45 at night, saying that she'd ruptured her membranes. And we actually have audio of Dr. Stu from the airplane. There he goes. There he goes. <laughs> yeah, that plane. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Dr. Stu. We hope you enjoyed your flight. Thanks for flying with us. There he goes. Off to a home birth. <laughs> no, it was great though. My daughter, my daughter was so sweet to me on because uh, she knew how tired we we had left. Uh, we flew southwest and uh-huh. we flew through Phoenix and we were delayed to an hour and a half in Phoenix. Oh. so it took us a long time to get home and it was a long day and we're just getting home and we're excited about getting home and taking our empty our suitcases out and jump in the shower, take a bath, take a bath whatever. and go into right. bed. And she looks at me and she goes, "Daddy, I'm so sorry." Can I do your laundry for you? Is there anything I can do for Aww. you? And then Dr. Stu said, oh, no, don't be sorry for me. I am Dr. Stu, and away I go. <laughs> and then Wait, that was, that was, <laughs> There he goes. Oh, I thought you were going to have a different, a different sound. No, that's there. you running out the door. That's yeah, you well, running. Yeah, and so I turned around. I came home. I took a shower and wow. drove to uh, Santa Clarita, and I, the beautiful Santa Clarita Birth Center. Oh, and beautiful. And Renee Sicigliano is the fine owner and uh, midwife there who helped me with this birth. And I want to shout out to Julie Anderson, too. Uh, Wait, I don't understand. At the, the the home births happen at the home birth center or at the well, home? Well, this the- was a, a woman who lived in Saugus. Okay. Who preferred, uh, because of situations at home and stuff like that, to to give birth at the birth center. I thought of you. But actually- it's, a, it's a similar environment where You're they're comp- left alone. Right. Somebody asked me about you. I was talking about you and the podcast, and I have a friend. His wife had a had a baby girl not long ago at all, and they had their baby at home. And I was uh, stepping out of the grocery store yesterday, and he was coming into the grocery store. I said, hey, and he said, hey, and I started talking, and we're talking. I said, how'd it go at home? He said, oh, we had the pool, and it was great, and he said it was just a wonderful experience, and he listens to Dr. Stu's podcast, and he said to me, he said, you know what, Brian? He said, um, he, he said, we would always want to have the baby at home. We have future babies. We'd always want to have the baby at home, but then he said to me, Excuse me. He said, wow, it's intense, though. He said, when I talk to people about it and when you talk or you go online, you talk about home birthing. And then he said something to me. And when I got in here today, I wrote it down because I want to share it with you. He said, well, home birthing. He said, Brian, you lose friends over it. Quote, you lose friends over it. He said it is such an emotionally charged issue. The concept has so much swirling about it and around it. He said, quote, I wrote it down. It's right there. You lose friends over it. And I'm sure that's not the case with everybody. But wow, that's quite extreme. I think it compares really uh, favorably to, not favorably, but it compares very similarly to politics. Uh, you know, you are at a dinner dinner party and you are conservative and everyone else is liberal. If you bring up your point of view, you lose friends over it. Mm-hmm. And home birth is a very emotionally charged thing, just as you said. And congratulations to your friends, by the way. Thank you. I think it's fantastic, especially for first-time moms to do this. Um, they obviously researched it and they came up with this decision. And I want to give a shout-out, by the way, to the husbands because, you know, it may be they they may have been born at home or they may have 
have no knowledge of this whatsoever, but for them to support the decision of their wife, it's, it's very stressful on husbands because they're there to protect their woman. And sometimes in labor, there's not much a man can do mm. other than nurture their wife. But, you know, when things are tense or they don't know that this is okay or not okay, it's very nerve wracking. And I try again, and when I'm at a birth, and I've learned this from my midwife colleagues, we pay much attention, we pay not as much, but a lot of attention to the husbands too. And we give them a lot of support because it's really important for them to know that this is also about them. They're not just an appendage here. They're not a sperm donor. Mm. There's well, much more to it than that. He's about to become a parent too. Well, absolutely, Doctor Stu. And he can't do anything. Well, he, you know, guys are used to fixing stuff. They're used yeah. to used to you know being useful. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for the man to sit there because it is a really a woman's world. It's hard for me sometimes. I mean, yeah, because I gotta, can't do what women. She's got to do everything she's doing. She's in the tub. She's got to push. He can hold the ice chips. Well, this is why I was going to ask you. I mean, <laughs> that's right. What is your when you when you meet with clients? How do you counsel the guy? Let's talk about the dudes for a second because if you're the father, the dad, the husband. Uh, the boyfriend, if you're the dad and uh, your lady mom says she wants to have the baby at home, there are probably a lot of guys when maybe they hear it for the first time after the pregnancy is known. Maybe it's something that's not even talked about before. And I'm sure a lot of guys get that uneasy kind of fearful feeling that I've sort of articulated to you that I think I would have in a scenario like that. And I know you've got some work to do on me and we talk about that all the time. But but how do you counsel that guy? Because because ultimately it is her pregnancy. They are pregnant together. I understand that. And they're a couple. But ultimately the decision's hers. And doesn't he ultimately have to support it? Well, that's something that the couple will have to decide. Before I go there for a second, though, you, you did ask me once again about the losing friends thing, and I just wanted to finish up with a comment on that, is, yeah, a lot of people think you're crazy, and so a lot of couples often don't share what they're doing with their family members until after the baby's born, because they know better, because you, you don't want your family members or your friends constantly harping on you or maybe sending you an email of a, of a, ba- of a home birth gone bad or something like just, you don't need that sort of thing. So, you know, if you have friends that are really close or family that are really close and you want to share this with them, you can't expect that everyone to agree on everything. Given the same information, two people are often going to come up with different uh, endpoints. On, uh, on any matter. On any matter. On any matter. Now, as far as the dads go, this is a good question because we spend a lot of time over the years at the sanctuary. We used to do it uh, every week, and now we do it once a month, where we, we sit down with families and we go around the room and we ask if who's got what questions and what are your concerns. And almost universally, the father's main concerns are what happens if something's going to go wrong? What, how does that work? And then they also have financial concerns, which is typical of males. You know, we're, well, they we're, shouldn't be concerned because it costs a lot less than being at a hospital. Well, not necessarily. It depends on what their insurance is. Oh, of course. If they have Kaiser, it costs them nothing. Okay. All right, I'm going to go have a baby. I'm at, Kaiser. No, 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 Randy, Randy. No, Randy, no, it costs them nothing to be at Kaiser. It costs them stuff to be at home. That's right. what I'm saying. Uh, right. Regular insurance, you're going to have co-pays in that. But their most concerning thing is, is about the safety of home birth. Because if you just look at mainstream media, uh, although there's some good articles now, there's a great article, we'll maybe talk about another podcast about increasing home birth in New York City. But but uh, if you just look at these articles, you'll find that, that there's a lot of publicity against home birthing. There's mm-hmm. certain bloggers out there who shall remain nameless, uh, and certain articles, and certainly the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has a bit on the warpath against home birth. Why? Uh, you know, I mean, the, I'm, is, is, E-cubed? 
Okay, ego and uh, economics. Ego, economics, and, and expediency. And expediency. Well, I would, of course, you know, there's certain people in the industry and bloggers that can be against it. It's not as lucrative of a business. Well, it's not the average, as complicated. We've, with the average home birth, it probably costs about six grand. The average vaginal delivery at a hospital costs about fifteen grand, and the average C-section hospital is about thirty-five grand. Oh. So you do the math. Now, not everybody gets paid that, and insurance companies. It's, it's so befuddled and foggy that you never know what's going to happen. But the problem is, even if you call your insurance company, even if they tell you what it's going to cost, they don't guarantee you that that's what they told you. However, I'm the head of accounting at one of these hospitals. I look at our bottom line and I say, we got to start selling these C-sections. We're making a lot more money this way, and it's the same process. Right. There's no reason to lower the C-section rate Doctor if Stur- you're an administrator at a hospital. L- let me ask you a sensitive question. Um, did we finish with the... Yeah, we guess we did. No, please. I mean, if, if there's... No. It, I, I, no, the guys want to know about safety, and so I was going to talk a little bit about safety. Please do. Please let do. Me, but keep that question. Sure. I see that look on your face, Brian. I know this no, question. I, I, I can sit here for for eternity i'm never going to forget this question. you won't i Some won't point. it's a sensitive question yeah okay good all right so safety so people wonder first of all when you're having a home birth especially with a midwife by definition i'm a little bit unusual because i will do v-backed breaches and twins but let's take that out of the picture if you're talking about the typical couple like your friend mm-hmm. all right um if you're starting if you're having a home birth by definition you're low risk you don't have medical problems and if you don't meddle with labor if you allow labor to proceed as 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 it, nature designed it, it's very unlikely that something's going to go wrong suddenly. The emergencies that you see happen at hospitals are because people are on pitocin, they haven't eaten, they can't move, they got an epidural, their blood pressure is dropped, these kind of things that happen, and then suddenly the baby doesn't like it and suddenly things go sour. But it's not very common to see a, uh, an emergent problem happen at home. Mm. So we're talking about things that if they begin to go wrong, a midwife who's well-trained in normal birth can see something that's wrong from a mile away because it's not normal. So she spots that, she starts to bring it up, and if it decides that's something that she's not comfortable with, they get in the car and they drive to the hospital. Mm. The, other op- the other thing we always tell them, too, is that when you labor in Los Angeles, you're never that far from a hospital. You're right. You know, you're, you're three, four minutes from an ambulance, you're six to ten minutes from a hospital. Now, that could be critical time, but we've talked about this before, too. Just because you're in a hospital doesn't mean you have an emergency crew sitting there waiting for you and that you could have a C-section in three minutes. It doesn't work like that. So we're talking about normal birth. We're talking about not meddling. And so things generally don't go wrong. And the most common reasons why we ever transport somebody for an emergency are a woman after she delivers for sometimes bleeding more than we like mm-hmm. or a baby after we deliver who isn't breathing as well or is working harder to breathe than we like. It's not for a baby that's not breathing. It's not for a woman that goes into septic shock. These things are not something that you're going to see at a home birth. Those are things that happen when you're they're on too And many. when guys hear that, it, they make, they make, it makes sense to them. Yeah. And also, again, when we have these meetings, we instruct people that we're not here to convince you to have a home birth. We're here to give you information Completely. so that you can make an informed choice so you can choose what's best. Because as I always say, home birth isn't for everyone, but informed choice really is for everyone. But anyone who had a sour opinion on it, if they heard that information, those facts, how could they be against it? Outside of thinking, you know... Well, so here now my sense... And, they, and it may not convince everybody. And then they go home and the families discuss it together and they come up with something that they can both live with. And if the husband isn't comfortable with a home birth, maybe they can find a midwife program at a hospital like UCLA will have has midwives. Kaiser has midwives. You know, they can find something in between where they can at least have uh, a midwife-based low-risk normal birth experience where there's a little bit less intervention, 
a little bit more likely that you're going to deliver if you try want to do it without an epidural, without an IV, that you still have the opportunity to do that. All right. So here's my sensitive question for you. Uh, and I appreciate everything you've said. And I understand uh, the reasons you've articulated. And, I, and, I, and in, in the folks we've had here on the show, many of the guests, Kimberly and Sarah and, and others, I understand the people we've interacted with. I understand why people are choosing home birth. I understand why someone, a couple, a mom-to-be might want to have her baby at home. You've been involved in home birthing, Dr. Stu, for a long time. Uh, the, the, the first reaction people have, I talked to somebody at work, who was it? Uh, don't recall. Well, I do recall. I'm not going to say who it was. A friend of mine. And uh, we were talking, and she was uh, talking about, uh, about the idea of home birthing because her sister's pregnant or something like that. And I said, oh, I have a friend, and he does a great podcast about home birth. She said, I'd never do that. I said, well, I said okay. And she reacted very quickly. Like, she said, I'd never do that. And I said, um, I said, I know a lot of people have good experiences, but I know it's kind of a divisive issue. And she said to me, well, why in the world would I want to just, uh, just pass on all of the benefits that the hospital could afford <laughs> if something went wrong? So here's my sensitive question. In all your years of home birthing, have you ever been there, Dr. Stu, with a mom who's giving birth? And there's a complication. Something goes wrong. And have you ever had that thought in your mind where you said to yourself, not out loud, I'm sure you'd never say it out loud, but might say to yourself, oh, wow, um, we've done this baby a disservice. We've done this one a disservice by not having this birth take place at the hospital. Has that thought ever crept into your mind? Well, sure it does. But, but me on a personal level, no, I've only been doing home birthing for three years. I've been backing home births for about 26 years. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are some cases where, in hindsight, and you know, you know, hindsight. I it's mean, always uh, twenty twenty. Sure. It's even better than twenty twenty. It's got X ray vision, as a matter of <laughs> fact. Right? It's a it's a Monday morning type thing, and it, and it's, you know, in hindsight, they could have done things differently. They should have brought her in earlier, or maybe this woman shouldn't have been having a home birth, or maybe at some point she should have her care should have been transferred prior to labor. These sorts of things. Uh, yes, there's always that. I have. You know, midwife colleagues who agonize over this every day. I personally think about this stuff. I mean, every time I go to a birth, it's there sort of in the back of your mind. But on the other hand, I don't know where this came from. I don't know why this happened to me, but I'm really comfortable with birth. And I would tell you without hesitation that most, you know, if we talk about how much fear that women have in birth right now, I would tell you there's an equal amount of fear with the doctors who practice obstetrics. Really? They are fearful of birth. If they didn't have to do birth, they'd prefer not to do birth. They're fearful of what might go wrong. They're fearful of what might go wrong. They're fearful of making a wrong call. They're fearful of being peer-reviewed for doing something slightly different. They're fearful of medical legal consequences. They're fearful of losing their livelihood. They're, uh, because this is the world we live in right now. They're a bundle of nerves. And There's a lot more to think about than just delivering the baby. Right. It's, it's, well, yeah, it is. It's a, it, they're, they're nervous about it. And this is why patients are brought in at 39 weeks for ultrasound for no reason. This is why somebody who's brought in, I, I saw somebody today who's in my practice, who's a VBAC due later in October, who, vaginal birth after cesarean, I keep saying these terms, but she's due in October, who in her first pregnancy had an ultrasound for no reason at 38 weeks. Mm. And they found that the fluid, the amniotic fluid around the baby was in the normal range, but on the lower end of normal. Okay, well, it's still normal, <laughs> all right? It's normal, but instead they started weekly testing oh. and the fluid went down a little bit, which it normally does, 
And eventually they, they made her so nervous. They had her family so nervous. Her mother came in with her for the visit today. Her mother said we were all like so... Ex- Worked up. Yeah, we were just... It was so tense that and finally at 41 weeks, we just gave in. Mm. And we just were induced. And then we ended up with a cesarean section. Oh. All because they had an ultrasound at 38. And, I, and we discussed this. And I said, you know, I never would have known these things. And I would never... Therefore, this, none of this would have happened. Now, can I miss something? Not usually, because there are usually clinical signs when things aren't going well, mm-hmm. and there are reasons to do ultrasound, and there are reasons to do interventions, but they've, they've changed. It used to be you started testing someone for being overdue at 42 weeks, and then it was 41 weeks, and then it was 40 weeks in one day, and now according to this last this other person's doctor, 38 weeks for an ultrasound for no reason. Well, Dr. Stu is back from his vacation, clearly just chilled out, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some more riled up than ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, well, we only talk about this stuff. If you want to spend an hour putting people to sleep, I can tell you about all the lovely things that I did on my vacation, <laughs> including eating like a pig at the Minnesota State Fair. Yeah, but, oh, Hold on a yeah. second. Forget hold birthing. On. Yeah, hold We're going to talk state fair food. Yeah, what, fried uh, fried? Well, turkeys? let's see. We had... Well, uh, we had uh, <laughs> cheese curds, and we had uh, a Philly cheesesteak, and we had uh, donuts. Mm. Uh, I don't even know how they're prepared. Doesn't matter. We had, uh, said, uh caramel uh, apples on ice cream. Oh. Minnesota State Fair? Minnesota State Fair. Randy, 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 please. Randy, he's, Randy he said the apples, they're caramel you say caramel apples and then Randy, Randy's gone. He'll be yeah. back next time. Randy's Any, gone. So tell maybe me, maybe he went back to the sperm donor place. I don't know. You know what? I, I think he had. I think he had a. I think he had a decent experience over there actually, and he came back a hundred dollars richer. So it was pretty unbelievable. I'm glad you had a good time on your vacation, Doctor. No, we, we did. And the state fair. The only problem with the state fair is it's wall to wall people, and it's really hot and humid there. All right. So. Well, it's always great to see you, Doctor Stewart. Are we done? Well, uh, is time it, does. Randy, lie. is time up already? All right, well, then I'm going to have to tell you next time about uh, another phone call I had while I was in Minnesota about a, <laughs> about, a bre- about a breech birth. And I want to tell you all about that one because that one uh, has me have more gray hairs, too. So, All right, well, if you have a question for Dr. Stu, it's askdrstu at gmail.com. That's askdrstu at gmail.com. And if you love Dr. Stu's podcast and you love Dr. Stu, and we all do, make sure you tell your friends about his wonderful podcast. Go to the website, drstuspodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes where you can uh, write a nice review and give the doctor five stars. So tell your friends about it in the home birthing community and... And where, and even in, not in the home birthing community. And now I'm going home to relax, and I'm going to scratch my nails on a blackboard because I find that so relaxing compared to <laughs> compared to my normal everyday reading. <laughs> okay. Goodbye, guys. All right. Thanks for joining us on Doctor Stu's podcast for Doctor Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>